Hello, this is A Letter to America with Amonla and my co-host Indigo. There's a lot of injustices, but we're not just writing a letter. We're here to talk about the problems and some solutions. Stay tuned, and we're not done yet. Hello and welcome back to another episode of A Letter to America. Today we have another interview. This is my older sister, her name, or I'll let her speak for herself actually. My name is Nia Johnson. As Amala stated, I'm his older sister and so happy to be speaking today. Thank you for coming on. Mm-hmm. Uh, We're really excited to have you on. Very excited, man. Hype. We wanted to start off with like, where'd you go to school at when it came to college and your mentality going into all of this how did you keep it pushing and get out as fast as you did well for college i went to the california state university of los angeles the mindset that i started with when i first went to college was completely different than the mindset that i ended with when i was graduating coming into college i think my main focus was just figuring or enjoying the adulthood the newfound adulthood that i would have so far away from home And I was excited to, like, prove it mainly to myself that I could do everything on my own. I wanted to be so independent. (laughs) I felt that, (laughs) As I went through college and started to get exposed to a lot of different cultures, a lot of new experiences, leaving college, the mentality that I've held on to since then was figuring out how to pull from my resources, my network, the community that pushed me to go to college, the community that I got that degree for. Because as we know, if you are someone that looks like me, a black woman that comes from what others would identify as the hood, like our chances tend to be, opportunities tend to be limited sometimes, or we get looked upon as just a statistic. So when I made it out of college, I felt like I was heroic. I felt like I was a survivor. And now here I am really appreciating the community that pushed me to be where I am today because it was not easy. (laughs) It was a struggle and I fight every day, but I know I'm making my family proud. I know I'm making, you know, everybody that believed in me. I'm mm-hmm. showing them what that got them. Yeah, thank you for sharing that experience or what's called your study or college experience with this. Next, I wanted to ask about your job and how, like, that came to be, where you started from when you, oh, and, like, where you are right now, too, mm-hmm. all of that. Currently, I am working for an economic uh, policy firm slash think tank. That basically means that I work with a lot of economists and uh, a few former, like, legislators and some lawyers on drafting economic policy that tackles a specific area or economic policy that is framed in the way that we think benefits society. We're specifically interested in, like, concentrations of wealth and power. Uh, As we know, the history of America, a lot of wealth and power in America was built off of the extortion of others, slave labor, and other things. So the organization that I work with frames economic policy that tackles those concentrations of power, those, you know, uh, we really love some of our big corporations, but a lot of them still have uh, racism Mm -hmm. and contribute to institutional racism today. So figuring out how to redraft economic policy so that, one, they're not just monopolizing all the wealth in America, but, two, so that they can be better regulated because, like, (laughs) America has some issues that 
we continue to work on to fix uh, how Listen, I got loosely, here. Oh. <laughs> loosely working. Sorry, what is- no, I was just saying, like you said, um, we continue to work on the fix loosely, but <laughs> yeah, know. loosely. I mean, <laughs> I guess work in progress is exactly a nice way to put it. But yeah, how you how you got here? We could go back to that. My bad. I got here because my senior year of college. And I guess this relates back to the mindset that I started college with, wanting to be independent, proving to myself and everyone else that I didn't need any help. I rushed through college so fast that come senior year, or as I was approaching senior year, I had a lot of time on my hands and found a lot of new hobbies that I wanted to get entangled in, which started with politics. Becoming the student body president of my campus showed me my first real experiences with lobbying and sitting down with legislators and being like, look, this is a problem. You need to fix it. <laughs> In college, I wasn't too concerned with why the problem existed. I just wanted them to fix it. <laughs> As we know, like Solution a lot piece. of issues that we have today are not new issues. Yeah. So I'm assuming everybody here already knows what the issues are. And we just need to mm-hmm. remind our legislators that we care about this. this is- that was level one in college. But after I graduated, I got an opportunity by the Congressional Black Caucus Foundation to move to D.C. and work in Senator Kamala Harris's office, mm. um, which was something I completely wasn't expecting. Mm. But it definitely it showed me how good it would be or how good it can be when I use the resources around me, the people that saw me lobbying and like speaking out for things that I thought mattered for elevating other voices for those that typically don't get a chance to speak in room with power it was just it was nice to get the opportunity to work with the real legislators now in dc mm-hmm. and yeah. i mean all legislators are real but you in know. california the way i saw it like dc was like where the sharks were so i was like oh this is nerve-wracking yeah. um Oh. And from working in Senator Harris's office, I got more connections that got me to the job I have today. Mm-hmm. I see. Working in Sen- Senator Kamala Harris's office, did that ever like conflict with some of your what you knew was right and wrong? Like, did that ever conflict with you knowing her background and what she did for a living? Wow, what a loaded question! Yeah, Mama. <laughs> <laughs> I, I know I dropped that out of nowhere, but <laughs> you know, sli- um, switching a little bit from you know the corporate world and how yeah. I know your job would want to explain that question. How would you like as a black woman truly define what you think of Kamala Harris? Mm-hmm. You know? I love when I get this question, and thank you for like restating that I'm going to answer this as a black woman and not as, like, someone who works with a specific policy area or anything like that. Uh, First and foremost, I am a black woman. And so when I see what Senator Kamala Harris is doing, when I was in that office, words can't describe what it means to be a black woman coming from the hood and then walking around um, Capitol Hill around, like, politicians Mm. who are famous, who get a lot of attention and to see only one black woman out of the Senate, which has many members, representatives from every state. And there's only one black woman in the Senate right now. And Mm -hmm. I was working for that black woman. That was historic for me enough. Mm -hmm. And to still see her grinding um, after I worked in her office and I answered calls for her, you, you, the amount of hate you get for being a black woman in a position like that is, Mm -hmm beyond abundance so i feel like there's still something motivated in me to now see her doing what she's doing um 
And to what I draw back on is Shirley Chisholm was the first black woman to run for president. And I read, like, stories about all the death threats she got, yeah. all the, just like, and she was running her, like, barely post-civil rights movement. <laughs> it was not a time where people were expecting black women to step up and be unapologetically dope and loud about what matters. Yeah. I think, as a black woman, that's the first thing I see, because mm. sadly, there still is not enough black women in politics, let alone this is the first black woman to run for a vice president bid yeah. and only the second to run for president. So that was groundbreaking for me. Mm -hmm. I have another question about Kamala Harris that you, you referred to her as a black woman, even knowing her background and how little African-American she actually has. Is there anything about that that like really speaks to you that really translate to her being black? Is there something about her character that, um, gives her that title for you the way i've always defined blackness and it's like i know that you guys have already discussed colorism and things like that but coming from a family where i've seen like all kinds of different shades of black we're never the same shade or anything yeah. like that maybe even if they're mixed i think if they have any part of black in them whether they identify as it or not mentally i've already noted like oh you're black and I think I do that specifically because I don't want blackness to be so exclusive that people that are black and just don't look at can't identify just because they don't look at. And I, if we start separating people based on their blackness, based on how much they have in it, it becomes a problem because then how do you identify blackness? Yeah, it's I subjective. Think, yeah, absolutely. I think with Kamala Harris, she does have, as anyone that has like a platform, celebrities, if they are mixed, they do have opportunities to pick and choose what they want to identify as and when. And that's mm -hmm. a common phenomenon among plenty of people. And Kamala Harris is just one of them that has that opportunity to uplift her other identities as well as her blackness. And I think that's a duality that personally I don't struggle with. So I can't necessarily say I empathize uh, or even understand what it feels like to have to be black in something else. I identify as black and that's how i see like there is a conflict there where like i will never understand like what that feels like but i do know she's already identified as black and having any kind of black in them like i see that as my people like <laughs> you yeah mm -hmm. even with her you know prosecuting black men and being known for all of that you feel as if no matter what, at the end of the day, she's black. There's no yeah, absolutely. That. Yeah. <laughs> and the reason I say that is because, our or not all skin folk, folk are kin folk. Mm -hmm. yeah. So yes, she's black, but I for, by no means am saying all black people are like saints. All black people do the most for the black community. Uh, and I think we all know there are yeah. plenty of black people mm -hmm. that don't <laughs> pull their weight, that don't do what's expected just because you would hope that if they identify as black there and they get in positions of power they're always going to put that blackness first but like let's be real that's not Never. what you always yeah. see mm -hmm. so yeah by no means am i saying like <laughs> her blackness equates to her being like a for the people hero yeah. or anything like that but as a black woman i am proud to see another black woman winning i'm always proud to see a black woman mm -hmm. winning mm -hmm. Yeah, I have a question, and this also kind of touches on another topic, but I want to know what you would say to people that are hesitant about voting because they feel like neither candidate is the best. Um, I have, I know like a lot of people from the Bay who 
don't really want to vote for either candidate because they feel like Kamala, Kamala, especially being from the Bay, they feel like she isn't truly for the people. So they're just like, basically like they don't think that it matters. And they think that voting for Kamala is just as bad as voting for Trump and Pence. So what would you say to people like that? Like, do you believe that voting for Biden and Kamala is still the better option? In my eyes, I believe that, yes. But I want to hear your opinion and your thoughts on that. Absolutely. And I'm completely in agreement with some of the things you stated. Uh, I don't know if you guys caught the presidential debate, one of the first one, yeah. where Biden <laughs> said something like, okay, well, first of all, Biden says a lot of stuff that oh, like, wow. are just so problematic. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but something that I thought <laughs> was hilariously problematic was that he said, um, when you compare him to anything, compare him to the alternative, not to the greatest or mm. something like that, which is not at all. Like we should never be in a situation where we have to vote based on what the alternative is. What we're voting for should always be what we believe is best. Mm. <laughs> but oftentimes with this two-party system, that's what it is. It's who yes, is going yes. to... But the other thing to this, and this is where I want to disagree and push back against what you said, is when you vote, you need to know what you're voting for. And mm. sadly, I've through being in college, this is a... Um, when I registered students to vote, I had this discussion all the time, which is that oh, we don't want to vote because we don't agree with either candidate. When you're voting in a presidential election, you're voting in an election season, not just for the president. When you're voting on that ballot, there's other things on there other than just the president. Mm -hmm. And if you guys remember back when Hillary Clinton ran, the popular vote <laughs> does not vote for the president. We, while we vote, our vote matters. But that's why the presidential, like, candidates aren't the only thing that's on the ballot like mm -hmm. if election season was only about the president and the vice president like it wouldn't really fucking matter i mean it really sorry excuse my language <laughs> it wouldn't really matter because the electoral vote is what votes for the president but we vote for the electoral college yeah. so yeah. when you're voting vote for the people that you think will elevate your voice mm. and that's who will vote in your favor and like the story that I always told college students when they would say, like, oh, we disagree with either candidate, we don't feel like our vote matters, things like that, um, I would draw on what happened when Trump was first elected president. And it was very interesting because when the presidents are elected, they go by which states they win. And Trump won certain states because the electoral colleges where in that state there was a majority of the Electoral College members that voted for him. But yeah. that didn't mean that he won every state. That mm -hmm. didn't mean that he won California. And so, again, it's just, it's always remembering that when you're voting, look at what you're voting for. I think the worst thing that happens is that there are uneducated voters that believe that the only thing that they can vote for is the president when there's so many other moving pieces there's a whole landscape that we have to look at in order to make this world better. If we focus on one piece, we're not going to get anywhere. Yeah, well, I have a couple more questions for you that we're going to have to get out of here soon. But um, my next question is speaking on terms of politics. I know you're out in D.C., but you know how California is still on fire and we're in the midst of a global pandemic. Do you have like what would you tell Gavin Newsom? Like what would or how do you think he should be handling this? And is he handling it good already? Ironically enough, I love President Obama. President Obama set in a lot of initiatives in place to deal with circumstances like this that were kind of overturned when the new 
administration took over. Mm -hmm. But I think Governor Gavin Newsom is doing all that he can with the circumstance that he's presented in. When we look at the fires, like, we understand, like, California is not just on fire. Mm -hmm. California still has, like, high case of poverty. California mm -hmm. still has had high cases of the coronavirus. There's all these different things that are going on. And, I mean, if you guys know anything about California's relationship to President Trump, let's just understand that no, we're idea. not getting <laughs> that much assistance from the government, um, the federal government, in that way. So mm. Governor Gavin Newsom, I think, is doing a lot with what he's presented with. And for better or worse, this is what his term is. I won't say that he hasn't made any mistakes, but I will say, like, he doesn't have a lot of federal support, which is supposed to be standard when states are in these times of crisis. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's unfortunate because it means that the people of California suffer the most. I also think that Governor Newsom, while working with the fires and responding to the coronavirus, he's taking a utilitarianism approach. And I don't know if you guys know what that means. So no, just like one of the it? random things I held on to when I was cramming for my final uh -oh. <laughs> back in college <laughs> mm -hmm. is that utilitarianism is basically, um, it's an ethical theory where you put maximizing the liberties and the happiness and the well-being of the majority over individuals. Mm -hmm. And I think that's how his approach has been from shutting down California. He's trying to protect the majority, but he's not necessarily focused on single individual interest groups. That's far that I've seen all the way from D.C. But you guys may have actually much more insight than I do while you're living in California. And if you're engaged in any kind of uh, local lo local legislation or local politics, you'll mm -hmm. be able to tell me exactly how you feel about Gavin Newsom because I am curious I know from DC what we see is we see a lot of governors trying to make do with like the lack of support make do with financial constraints the strained economy and all these different things but what does it feel like from your perspective as you said when you spoke about his way about going about all of this it does kind of seem as if he has become a little bit less focused on like the main problems but more about like being reelected. so he's going to do whatever he needs to do to make sure that at the end of the day he is one going to be reelected, and two he's going to be able to still have things he can call upon and say oh yeah i did that i took california through this this and that you know how trump is trying to say that how the economy was before the global pandemic hit you know he's trying to say that it was better mm -hmm. than whatever it was with obama i feel as if it's kind of the same thing when it comes to gavin newsom because i wouldn't want to say that we are losing faith but we will put a lot of a lot of pressure on these on these politicians expecting them to save us from some of these situations when at the end of the day i feel as if a lot of it is us you know in california we did have a fat spike of cases within or like two months ago we had a really big spike in cases in like june mm -hmm. and the first person we looked at was our governor because he just reopened up the um state but at the end of the day that's what the people wanted yeah but we don't we don't look at that we look at who made the decision who said it was okay mm -hmm. i feel as if it's going to be the same thing when it comes to schools reopening they're trying to reopen for next semester in january and at the end of the and as you said we were having a conversation earlier and you were talking about how if it happens it's going to be because G Gavin Newsom said it could happen. And if it doesn't, it's going to be because he said it couldn't happen. No matter what, mm -hmm. I feel as if it's a lose-lose situation for him. I don't know. Mm -hmm. I, that's, yeah. the, <laughs> that's the real reason why I don't think I'd ever really be able to get into politics like that. It's just because 
it's so stressful and yeah. <laughs> i'm not sure how he really yeah. deals with all that <laughs> but that's, that's kind of my views on <laughs> gavin newsom himself i was amazing being able to hear your opinions on some of these topics i hope that we could get you on the show again definitely um, this was amazing this was amazing yeah. can i actually just end on like one more quick question yeah Is that okay okay yeah so before we started the show you mentioned that today was self-care sunday so i want to mm-hmm. know like what things do you do to take care of your yourself as a black woman oh absolutely oh my gosh love these discussions <laughs> so for self-care sunday for me it means being able to sit down and be retrospective and look at what I've accomplished. Mm -hmm. As a black woman, I found I naturally navigate in a black woman in politics at that. I I mean, like, mental health is important for Mm -hmm. me. I have a lot of anxiety, so I have to sit down and meditate a little bit. I'm really big. Mama will be able to vouch for this on scents. So I light a lot of incense, Mm -hmm. a lot of, like, candles, and I will do yoga. I will stretch and Mm -hmm. listen to music, and I have books. But it's all about slowing down to figure out how to um, lay down the foundation for my growth. I do want to get into law school, which is something that Amanda mentioned. So Mm -hmm. it means laying down uh, or sitting down and looking at my plan, where I'm at in terms of studying and how I'm going to move forward and making sure to write out some positive affirmations or speak some Mm -hmm. positive affirmations because life gets stressful and you got to cheer yourself on. And if you're not cheering for you, like how can you expect anyone else to? So that's what I do. I love that. Yeah. I'm going to definitely keep those in mind. That's all for today. You guys, there are going to be a lot of things that are talked about in this podcast that many people won't want to hear. Viewer discretion is always advised. Thank you for tuning in and tune in again next Friday for our next episode. Thank you. You've been listening to A Letter to America with Amonla and Indigo. Make sure to join us weekly on Fridays at 5 p.m. You can find us on any of your favorite podcast stations, websites, or apps.